0: let's go racing it's super mario kart funny car madness only on super nes turn the track into a giant mud pit or burn rubber on ice water asphalt happy saturday everyone we made it through another week and throughout the week i sent out a bunch of questions for you guys to answer and you all sent back a whole bunch of responses if you Don't already follow me on Twitter. I'm at RunJumpStomp, and that is where I post these questions, which end up in the Saturday episode of the podcast. So get on over to Twitter, hit that follow button, and uh, then respond to the questions that I post throughout the week in order to get your stuff on the show. Now, I have to point out that it is very late in the day. I mean, it's not late. It's not like bedtime or anything, but most of the time on Saturday, I have the episode done before now. And you might be wondering, Bill, how come the show isn't done and isn't already in my hot little hands? Well, the reason is because I was super busy and uh, things have just been absolutely nuts around here, especially on Saturdays for whatever reason. Uh, I just haven't been able to sit down and uh, hit the record button until right now. So if you were looking for something to listen to in the car while you were on your way someplace, then I apologize because I was too busy to record anything until right now. All right, let's talk about video games. Atari introduces the woman of the year, Ms. Pac-Man. Earlier this week, I told you that Nintendo basically said if you bought the wrong version of the DLC, the Isle of Armor DLC for Pokemon Sword and Shield, that you would not be able to return it. Now, we don't know if that is as of yet untrue, but earlier today, Nintendo tweeted out uh, this very interesting information. They said, when purchasing the Pokemon Sword Expansion Pass or the Pokemon Shield Expansion Pass, please ensure that you select the one that corresponds with the version of the game that you own. If you mistakenly purchased the incorrect pass, please contact customer support. Now, telling them to contact customer support And then telling them that you're not going to do anything about it is, good God, one of the worst ideas that you could do. And I don't think that Nintendo is that foolish. So my guess is rather than posting, hey, everybody, we're offering refunds if you bought the wrong version. Then they're just saying, hey, if you bought the wrong version, contact us. And we've, we've seen this before, where Nintendo has given us the option to do something, but they don't necessarily say flat out, hey everybody, here's what's happening when you call in. Because they want to give themself, themselves a little bit of wiggle room. Um, if you go back a long time, you're going to hear a phone call between me and Nintendo. And, and you might ask yourself, Bill, what episode was that on? I have no idea. Uh, but there was a, a phone call between me and Nintendo. I, I suppose that if I'm using the proper grammar, I should say Nintendo and I. Uh, no, it was me and Nintendo. Yeah, I said it right. Anyway, uh, so I called up Nintendo and I asked them about something, and they said uh, they gave me a definitive answer. And so I had recorded that phone call and posted it as part of the podcast. Well, other publications called Nintendo and got a different answer. And so those publications flat out called me a liar. They said that I made the whole thing up and then a bunch of people like review bombed me. I'm saying this because... Just because you get one answer on a phone call from Nintendo does not mean that that is 100% the answer. And this is why Nintendo does something like this, where they say, please contact customer support. It doesn't say, please contact customer support for your refund or to exchange it. It just says, please contact customer support. And that's so that they have the ability to treat each thing on a case by case basis. Now, what is the solution for this? Well, in my opinion, the solution would be to have a single code that unlocks for both games. However, Nintendo knows, and I talked about this on the show before, so I'm not going to completely retread this, but Nintendo knows that there are people who buy both versions of the game because they are collectors and they have i uh, you know, a bunch of extra, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, for income that you don't depend on? Um, expendable income, I guess. Uh, I think that's the word I'm looking for. And so they, they have people who are collectors who also have this expendable income and disposable income. That's what I was looking for. I know everybody is screaming at their phones right now, Bill, why can't you learn words? <laughs> So uh, there's people out there who are collectors with disposable income who buy both games. And if you have one expansion pass that goes for both games, then how does that work if it's the same, if it's the same pass for both games or or, yeah, if, if it's the same pass for both games, that kind of falls apart. So then they, what they do instead is they have two passes and invariably somebody is going to buy the wrong version. Well, we were told that Nintendo would not be offering any uh, refunds at all. and well, now it seems like maybe they are. You know, every once in a while, I put out a podcast. Did that last little clip that you heard a moment ago where the, the weirdo yells out P-Hats? Uh, like, some, some clip from that commercial will come up. And uh, people will send me messages and they'll say, Bill, what is that clip? And uh, I just want to tell everybody what it is, is it is this old Nintendo commercial for The Legend of Zelda. And it was this guy who he's wearing glasses and he's got big hair and uh, he's wearing like a black turtleneck and he's going around in these dark rooms yelling out the names of enemies in the Zelda game. So, like, he he makes these weird sounds and then screams out uh, the name of a of, of a Zelda enemy, and that was their that <laughs> that was their marketing for Zelda. Uh, that and the uh, the two kids rapping on the couch. And if you haven't seen either of these commercials, you're missing out on something that is really really uniquely Nintendo and uniquely 80s. All right, let's move on. Um, I asked the question earlier this week. Well, actually, I asked this one back on June 6th, and I don't think that I ever came around to discussing what you guys thought about this one, but it wasn't really a a timed... Uh, it wasn't a time-sensitive issue, so I figured I would bring it back this week. I asked, do you think that the current ESRB labels on physical copies of games are big enough to inform purchasers that are not familiar with video games about the content that they are purchasing. Reply with your reasons. I would love to talk about this on the show. And then I had a bunch of people reply with their reasons, and then I never talked about it on the show. So I apologize for that. So 66% of people who responded says, uh, yes, it is enough to inform. 33% said no, it needs more emphasis. Let's look at some of the responses to this. And before we get to your responses, I'm just going to say what I think would be better is that they have the entire bottom half of the uh of the um the the box art to explain the rating system and what it means. Now, Is that as important on something that is rated E for everyone? No, I don't think so. Uh, T for teen? Probably not. But for M for mature? Absolutely. I think that that is very important. And they should cover up a bunch of the box art with a big old M for mature and then a very specific explanation about what that entails. Because there's a lot of people who will buy a game for somebody else. They they are not necessarily uh, familiar with the video game industry, and it's not like the video game industry made it easy for people and used something that they were familiar with with, we'll say, like the the G, PG, PG-13, and rated R ratings that everybody knows essentially what that means. Of course, you know, PG-13 was invented for uh, Indiana Jones. Um, so if you, if I were to ask you, dear listener, do you know the difference between uh, PG and a PG-13 movie without looking it up? Most of you would probably say, you know what, I don't. And I don't. So maybe that argument falls by the wayside. But when a game is rated M, I believe that it needs more emphasis that it is rated M and it needs a very detailed description of why it's rated M. And sure, the purchaser could go to esrb.org and they could look up the game that they are about to buy. And on there, it will say specifically what the reason is and it will go into detail about what the reasons are. But the people who need this in front of them they don't know what the ESRB is. They have no idea. They do not know the ESRB stands for Electronic Software Ratings Board. And good God, I hope that that's what that stands for. And I haven't just been making that up in my brain all these years because now I've recorded it. And everybody's going to know that I'm an idiot if I if I said it wrong. <laughs> anyway, not that you're an idiot if you've said it wrong. Let's move on. Uh, Ivan Rodriguez says... I get that some companies have the onus of making sure that they are selling to the right people, but we as individuals also have an onus to do so, to do so as well. Well, he didn't say as well, but it makes the sentence better. When buying physical copies, I want the artwork to stand out, not the T's and the C's. And I don't know what he means by the C's. Maybe I know that he's from London because his name is London Gamer. At least I assume he's from London, Um And I think he's called into the show before and he has an accent. So maybe they use C's over there. I'm not sure. Uh, But um, I, I disagree because that makes perfect sense if you are assuming that everybody who buys a video game understands what that stuff means. And there's very few resources out there unless you are somebody who is familiar with the video game industry to teach people that. I mean, I doubt that grandma and grandpa are going to go on the internet and look up ESRB rating guidelines and what they mean before they buy a game for Jimmy. And while I understand that maybe they should... I don't know that we should, we can expect them to. So we need to be able to put that education in front of them where they are. And where are they? Well, they're in a store. Now, what you've just said about wanting the artwork to stand out, I completely agree with that, which is why I think that the artwork should be double-sided a lot of games on the Nintendo Switch have double-sided artwork where you have one thing on one side and on the other side, you have another thing. And what I would really like to see is on one side, on the on the outside facing one, you have the artwork, but the bottom half is covered up by the rating if the game is rated M. And on the inside, it's got all of the cool artwork without that M covering and you can take that that sleeve out, turn it around and have it face out after you've bought the game. And I think that that would be better. Or you could simply have a little tiny uh, a piece of paper that goes in there that, that, that shows that it's rated M and the explanation. And then when you buy it, you could take that piece of paper out and throw it away. I think that that would be better because it would give people who are not familiar with the video game industry, the 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 ability to get educated right there at the point of purchase, and I think that that uh, that that's an important thing to do. But thank you very much for the message, Ivan. Uh, Dexter says they are fine to me. I don't think anyone should really make an uninformed purchase in general. And in, in terms of age of consent, it's intended for by devs. Okay, I'm going to reread that. In terms of age of consent is intended for by devs. It's not really intended by the devs. It's, de- it's um, decided upon by the ESRB. In fact, I'm going to give you an example. Um, Elder Scrolls Online, the devs completely wanted that game to be rated T for Teen. Then the uh, ESRB came back with an M rating, And they were really surprised by that. And they said, well, just there's nothing we can do about it. That's what they rated it. We're not going to change our game. We're just going to leave it the way it is. And I think that was a really good way to go about it. Now, I have played that game a whole bunch. I think the ESRB kind of overreacted with that. But I also haven't seen everything that there is to see in that game. And I don't think I ever will. Uh, So maybe uh, at some point there was some real bad stuff that I never got around to. All right, moving on to a reply from Granite T. Rock. Uh, they said, It's a good starting point for me. I'm not quite sure. I'm sorry, I'm not quite there yet, but certainly there are some categories that we need further screening before letting younger children play. But this is true for movie labels as well and knowing what types of things scare your child. And, and you know what? I agree because when you are looking at a game, In making a decision about whether or not a game should be played by your kid. It's not necessarily as easy as saying, Okay, Junior, you can't play anything that is rated T for teen until you're 13. Because there's a lot of games that are rated T for teen that I think are perfectly acceptable for kids to play. There are also games that are rated T for teen that I would not let my kid play. And there are games that are rated M that I would let my kid play. And it all depends on what what is the reason that the game is rated M. What art style did they go with? How realistic is it? Uh, and what kind of uh, experiences are in the game? And the only way for me to really know that is to play the game or watch some footage of the game before I get that game for him. Now, luckily... For me, I am into video games, and so usually I have my my finger on the pulse and I know what's going on, so if my son or my niece or, or my daughter, she never really asked for games, but uh, if any of them asked for games, I would say, all right, well, this is a yes and this is a no, and and here's the reason why, and that's because I'm into video games. Video games are kind of a huge, huge time investment. And unless you're into video games, it's really hard for you to wrap your head around everything that's in a game before you make that decision for your children, which is why we have the ESRB to help people who are not informed get informed in a quick way. And I just think that they could do a better job on the box. Uh, let's do a couple more replies. Darren CP22 says they're fine. They should only be selling M-rated games to adults. If you're an adult and buying for a child, it's on you to read the box. You can't solve for lack of self responsibility. Okay, and that's fair. But is there enough information on the box to inform the the uh, the purchaser who's buying something for a child? For example, I'm I'm holding in my hand a copy of Diablo 3 Eternal Collection for the Nintendo Switch. On the front, um, very little M is on the bottom corner, and it says Mature 17+, but it's very, very small. On the back, in that same corner, in the bottom left corner, when I turn it over, it says M+, and then it says Blood & Gore, Partial Nudity, and Violence, and Users Interact. And that's the reason that it's M+. What I am suggesting is that it explains more about that and makes it bigger. Just just to give everybody the chance to really see it instead of having to scour through the box. And you have to remember that for a large segment of the population out there, video games are for children. It doesn't matter that there are games that are rated M. Video games are for children, And so they go into the video game store and they see on the shelves products that are for children. They don't understand that there are video games that are not for children. And so they just grab something for Jimmy and, uh, you know, they give it to him at Christmas and now Jimmy's playing that game and they don't know, especially on a Nintendo Switch. What if the kid has a Switch Lite? You don't see what's on that screen you don't see what he's up to. Uh, And yes, there is some onus on the adults who are making these purchases. I'm just trying to make it easier for said adults to be informed. Um, Hughes Reviews says, nope, labels need to convey to parents what gambling is in the game, as well as violent slash sexual content. Jacket labels should also be double-sided. Oh, hey, somebody else who had the same idea as me. Uh, should also be double-sided so that people who buy the game can have a case with un- unblemished artwork. That way, nobody complains about the warnings. So I think that Hugh, uh, and that was from Hugh's reviews, uh, Hugh and I are on the same page here. Uh, if you have more thoughts on this, please feel free to let me know on Twitter at Run Jump Stomp. I'm number one. I gotta be honest. Even if I never made a dime doing this show, I would probably still be doing this show because I love doing it. It's so much fun, but the money does help, and I have to say thank you to everybody who has recently pushed us over 70 patrons. There are 70 people out there who said, you know what? This is content that is worth paying for, even though I get it for free. So uh, to everybody who's joined the Patreon, thank you very much. And stick around at the end of the show, and I will be thanking our producers, which is everybody who is at the ten dollar tier or higher. We got some new people this week. If you want to join up, head on over to runjumpstomp.com slash thank you. <coughs> Nintendo has told us that it is now against or always has been, I guess, against the terms of service for you to sell Animal Crossing items for real world money. I decided to find out what you all thought about that. I said, do you think it should be against the terms of service? Reply with your reasons. Uh, 59% of you said, yes, it should be against the terms of service. 40% of you said, no. Let's see what everyone thinks about this. we are start with um, Nintendork on Twitter says, well, capitalism says, sure, go for it. But my morals tell me it's wrong. At the end of the day, I guess people should be able to do what they want, right? I don't know. I wouldn't pay anyone real-world money for something like that. Lloyd Hannison, who is an awesome guy, also does the Nintendo Pulse podcast, and he is my co-host on StadiaCast, so uh, make sure that you check out his stuff and check out our stuff. Uh, He said, "...the main issue with it is that some of the big sellers used hacked consoles to endlessly duplicate items." They can come to your island and drop hundreds of stacks of gold nuggets in one trip. If it really was an economy, I'd be okay with it. But you are financially supporting hackers. And I'd have to say that, you know what, I completely agree. I never, ever like to support hackers when it comes to video games. Why? Because if they are hacking in a game like Animal Crossing, then guess what? They're probably also hacking... In other games, games where I interact with them and they can screw up my game big time by maybe having uh, endless ammo or being able to see through walls when we're in a first person shooter or something like that. So yeah, I agree. Screw hackers, they're the worst. Uh, Fisto says, it seems Nintendo initially didn't want to feature cloud saves for Animal Crossing New New Horizons in fear of cheating slash duping possibilities. I think this is a reaction or consequence that they didn't anticipate. I don't think it should go against the terms of service. Um, well, but the the cheating and the duping is still happening. Uh, so as far as Nintendo not doing their cloud saves for that reason, I know that they said that they didn't want that, like the that cheating was something that they thought about. I think it has something to do with something that we're not understanding. I'm, I'm guessing it's probably... God, you know what? I don't friggin' know why, because it, it drives me really, really... It makes me mad that we don't have cloud backup for a game that probably needs cloud backup more than any other game on the planet. In my house, if you added up the number of hours that everybody has put into Animal Crossing just in my house, you're easily over a thousand hours. We have had so much fun with that game. And I recently sent off my son's Nintendo Switch to get repaired. Uh, there was uh, uh, his his right Joy-Con won't click in to the, the thing on the side. And uh, so we're sending it in to get repaired. I dropped it off a couple of days ago. I'll let you know. How it goes, because he's been dealing with it broken for a really long time because the due to COVID-19, the uh the repair centers were closed. Well, they're back open now, and I send it in. And if it comes back without his Animal Crossing save, like he's gonna be devastated. I can't even imagine how upset he would be, because that's a lot of time. And people grow really attached to their islands. If mine suddenly disappeared, I don't know that I would be especially upset because there's a lot of things that I did early on in the game that I'm not happy with, and I would change, and it costs me a bunch of time to change. I don't know. Moving on, Uh, (laughs) let's get back to what everybody else thinks. Uh, Dexter says, I think as long as both parties are okay with it, I don't see a problem now. If one side is clearly being taken advantage of without knowing, then that's a different story. And that that is something that you have to wonder about is can I mean, look, let's look at uh, an MMO and Animal Crossing is not an MMO, but it feels like one sometimes, especially if you are active in playing online with other people, it feels very MMO like. Because you're all doing this thing together and you're all, it feels like you all have these individual islands that are all part of one world, even though that's just an instance in in yours. But in MMOs, people will hack accounts and then they will uh, take that account and then they will use it to try and uh, farm gold. And then they will turn around and try and sell that gold to other people. And when people give them the credit card information in order to buy the gold, then they steal that credit card information and sell that credit card information to other people, which then use it to either steal identities or to run up somebody's bill um, in order to buy a bunch of crap that that person doesn't doesn't want. So does that happen in Animal Crossing? I don't know, but uh, I hope not. But it might you never know. Diddy Does Games replied, if another player buys an item or service for real world money, it doesn't affect my playing experience. I don't see the problem with it, and it shouldn't be explicitly prohibited. In my honest opinion, it defeats the whole purpose of the game, though. And yeah, I completely agree. Buying stuff for real world money uh, does kind of defeat the purpose of the game. It kind of takes the fun out of it. But if you are somebody who has more money than time... I can understand it. And, uh, that's why I also understand why people buy gold in games like World of Warcraft. What did World of Warcraft do in response? They built in a real way for players to buy and sell gold by doing the, uh, the, the, the tickets, which give you access to a month worth of play. You could, you could use that gold and you could, um, or you could buy those tickets and then sell them for gold, if you wanted to, and that took out the risk of getting your, um, <laughs> of of getting your uh, credit card information stolen. Of course, it also gave Blizzard another source of revenue. So, I guess that was good for everybody. I'll read one more response. Uh, Brad Farrell says, "No, if people are silly enough to buy it, so be it." I paid for my rent running bots in Diablo 2 and selling items on eBay when I was in university. Desperate times, desperate measures. I'm a coming, Luigi! I had other things that I wanted to talk about today, but you guys had such great responses to the questions that I sent out. I just don't have time to fit those in the show. Before we get out of here, I have to take a moment and I want to thank our amazing, our fantastic, our generous... Patrons, uh, each and every one of you, whether you are somebody who is in for a buck a month or you're somebody who's in at the highest possible level, uh, thank you to each and every one of you. But at the end of the show, I always call out the people who are at the highest level. We are now at seventy three patrons, uh, which is on our on our march to a hundred. Uh, there's a loud motorcycle that just went by. Uh, anyway, I'm moving on from the motorcycle. Uh, on our March to 100, I just, I, I'm absolutely floored every time that somebody signs up because I give out all of my work for free and you guys still support. It really is amazing. I, I love that, that you guys recognize that content like this takes a lot of work. So, to our producers, Abigail13, Jordan Forbes, and Paul Bramblett, thank you very much. If I could. Thank each and every person who is a patron. I would, uh, but I only, I only specifically call out the names of the people who are at the ten dollar tier or higher because otherwise I'd be here all day and we wouldn't get through the end of the show. But thank you again to the uh, patrons and the producers. You are all fantastic. The music that you are about to hear is uh, Cornarius Star Fox Remix by Note Block. Thank you very much for listening. I will see you next time. Stay awesome, everyone. This show is part of the Giant Science Team-Up Network. For more information, check out the GSTU.net.